10 years ago, the standard was like, oh, you, you, you build something, then you put it out there and wait for data collection. And then, you know, you learn something. And that usually takes weeks, if not months. Today, every category is super competitive. So if you wait weeks or months to get feedback, to validate whether something is, is uh, hitting home or not, you're going to lose and you're going to lose bad. Hey there, it's Erica, and you're listening to Better Product. We're the show that celebrates great digital products and the people and processes that make them stronger. We're back this week with an interview that we're thrilled to share. Megan is speaking with Pep Laya, the CEO and co-founder of Winter. Pep is an expert in B2B product marketing. Too often, he says, product marketers are stuck applying their energy in the wrong places. They're only making slide decks for sales enablement, or they're focusing too much on measures that keep them looking in the rearview mirror. No matter your product role, you'll definitely want to hear Pep's recommendations for making the most of your product messaging and positioning. We'll also explore why getting real-time feedback on your messaging is so important and how Winter is there to support. Welcome back to Better Product, everybody. This is Megan, and today I'm talking to Pep Laya, who is actually someone we've brought up in a previous episode of the podcast, so we decided to have him on the show today, and I'll let him introduce himself. Hey, y'all. I'm Pep. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I'm the founder of uh, three companies, Spiro, CXL, and Winter. Great. Uh, so let's talk about winter specifically, because that's kind of how we got connected and, and thought it might be good to have you on the show. Could you describe your journey to founding winter and a little bit about what it does, why you saw the need that convinced you to take the leap and build the product? Uh, I saw the need while running my other company, CXL, which is an e-learning company. So at CXL, we have 90 plus online courses on marketing and each of those courses has its own dedicated sales page you know with words and stuff trying to sell the course and we learned a long time ago years ago that in order to improve the conversion rate you know get more customers to buy our stuff we need better words better copy and so there i was thinking like okay how to increase the conversion rate get more money and so we need to improve the copy on these, all, the, all of these pages. And the question was, well, what's wrong with the copy? In order to improve something, you need to know what, what, what the problem is. And okay, so what tool is out there that can tell me what the problems are? And started to look for such a tool. And the only thing I found was other people with the exact same problem where you have a, you know, a copy, some messaging on your website, but really you have no idea whether it's working or not. Like you can measure conversion rate but you, you don't know if, if the words would be different, if the conversion rate would be, you know, double and so on. So that was like the genesis of I, I, finding a problem. And from problem to software, I mean, the old school way is like, let's build the app and, you know, see where the clients are. So Lean, Lean Startup came out when, like 2010, 11. Um, so being a big follower of Eric Ries and so on, and this is not my first rodeo, the only thing I did was we built uh, clickable mockups. So basically Figma designs. Uh, and so I lined up some 30 plus interviews with uh, my ICPs or who I thought my ICP was. And 
half of the interview was problem validation, other half was showing them the mockups and getting their feedback. And then I, I had enough information that, hey, I think I'm onto something and let's let's build this stuff. So today what Winter is, it's a tool that gives you feedback from your target customer. So it could be feedback on your uh, uh, marketing copy on your website, on, you know, product messaging, your positioning, your strategic narrative, on your sales scripts, outbound emails, any, anything you put in, put in front of target customers uh, will give you feedback on it. That's great. So how exactly does it work? Do you, is it AI? Is it actual people reviewing this copy? What's the secret behind Winter? It's it's really a two-sided marketplace. So if with Uber you have drivers and riders, we have software vendors, you know, companies trying to get more customers, and then software buyers. So let's say, you know, HubSpot is trying to get more you know, marketing people to buy their software. So we have a database of these marketing people. We put them in front of HubSpot's uh, website. HubSpot is you know one of the customers. And, and they will learn uh, what's clear, what's unclear, what's interesting, what's boring, what's relevant, what's irrelevant, et cetera. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. So how our, our audience on the show is primarily product practitioners and product leaders. How is Winter uniquely positioned to support these types of product professionals and especially product marketers who are the ones responsible for writing a beneficial and valuable copy? Winter is unique. There's 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 no tool like Winter. There's no no tool you can use that that helps you validate your messaging, positioning, all those things, and give you feedback from your target market with a couple of clicks and all in like 24 hours. So, and we focused pr- only on B2B. So, and and the targeting uh, is through title. Uh, industry company size. So like I want product, I want to hear from product managers at SaaS companies with less than 50 employees, maybe. And then we deliver that panel and then you can put in whatever you want in front of them. You know, your, your homepage copy or Figma prototypes, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, so there's really, we're completely unique in this. And all, there's always internal debates. Oh, should we say it like this? Should we say it like that? CEO wants to say one thing, but product marketing manager has another idea. Sales wants to say, you know, a third thing. Like what actually works? What's Or if we say it like this, is it clear? Or is it compelling? Uh, if we communicate it like this, does it make them want it? What After they read everything, what questions do they still have? So we're so much inside our own head or, or we forget you know, the curse of knowledge. We know so much about our own product. We forget what it's like to be new to a product. So so often that's why B2B websites, for instance, are super vague, you know, because like the, the product team that wrote the copy, they just forget what it's like to not know anything or because there's different ideas of what we should say. They optimize for, well, let's say something neutral, non-offensive that any, everybody can agree on. And then, of course, the outcome is this vague, often jargony copy that really doesn't, um, you know, it's not resonating with anyone in particular. Right. Yeah, I'm all too familiar with that. And I think a lot of uh, my clients at Innovate Map who come to us knowing that they need product marketing help come to us because they are aware of the curse of knowledge, as you call it. They know that they are just too far deep into this. They're too close to it. They can't 
look at it from the perspective of their customers or their buyers anymore. And it sounds like Winter is now that first software product that helps bring another perspective. Exactly right. And it's super fast. So, you know, speeding up feedback loops, everybody knows how important it is today. Back in the day, 10 years ago, the standard was like, oh, you, you, you build something, then you put it out there and wait for data collection. And then, you know, you learn something. And that usually takes weeks, if not months. Today, in this, you know, every category is super competitive. So if you wait weeks or months to get feedback, to validate whether something is, is uh, hitting home or not, you're going to lose and you're going to lose bad. And so if, right. if we play chess, you know, and every time I make a move, you make two moves. You beat me every single time, even if I'm twice as good of a chess player. So speed is a major advantage. And at, at some organizations, they have, you know, user research insights teams. But those are certain, um, you probably know this, like product teams and marketing teams, sometimes they want to avoid those teams because if you ask them a question, it will take a week, two weeks to get back, uh, to hear back from them yeah. with an answer. Because, you know, they're humans, time is limited, there's a backlog. And so another thing that Winter does is just democratizes user research where you don't need to know how to ask great questions. We do that for you. You don't need to know how to recruit a panel. We do that for you. All you get is like, uh, you're like I want to know if this messaging is resonating. Click, 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 quick, boom. You know, you have the data. Yeah, that almost sounds too good to be true. That's great. Um, so it, it sounds like your primary audience at Winter, who you probably most interact with purchasing the product, using the product, is going to be product marketers. That's is that correct. Fair to yeah, say? I want to say 80% of product marketing uh, related people. Now, product marketing is, uh, is, um, troublesome in some regards because it's such a new role and most of them yep. don't own a KPI nor nor do they know how their work should be measured or what like what metrics should they own um, and they don't really know so that that's problematic so when I look at my total customers 80% of product marketing people but if I look at my top 20% uh, biggest spend or like in terms of uh, biggest users of, of winter these are all demand gen people. And why is that? Because mm -hmm. demand gen knows exactly how to measure their success. They can make a case for ROI, et cetera. So yeah, you're right. And I, th I think product marketing, uh, it needs to get more mature. Yeah, you're, you're touching on um, the next point that I wanted to make is that product marketing is still evolving. It's still finding its voice within the industry. I know that there's a lot of companies uh, hiring for product marketers right now because mm -hmm. companies are just starting to wake up to the fact that this is a role that they need. Yeah. Is that, it sounds like that's similar to how you would describe the state of product marketing today. Absolutely. And in, in, in many companies, they're often is like the first product marketer ever. And so the person managing them doesn't know what they should do. And the product marketer doesn't know what they should do. And so quite often because of that, they are reduced to tech monkeys. They just build slide decks. And that's, of course, a terrible regression of, uh, of, of um, what this role can be or should be. Right. What questions about the field of product marketing do you think still need to be answered? First, to better support product marketers, but also then to ultimately advance how product marketing amplifies growth for product organizations. Yeah, it starts with the metrics. Own a metric and show that you're improving the metric. And then, of course, the closer to revenue, the better. 
And so on, yeah. on, on, until there is no clear, coherent uh, KPI and you can sh- demonstrate business value, you're not going to get a seat at the big kids table. You're going to be with the little kids over there. Oh, that's nice. You know, go sit there with sales enablement and build, build the stacks, you know. So that's the first order of business. Figure out which metric you own, show its impact on revenue. That's a great point because I did want to talk about sales enablement. Right now, it's almost like sales teams are that proxy for product marketers to even approach metrics. Like It's almost like product marketers are having to work through sales teams in order to prove that they're value. And that's done through sales enablement. But I feel like the more sales enablement that I help companies with, I just haven't seen any innovations in it at all. So we talk about uh, sales battle cards a lot, which those have been around for decades. They used to get printed out and put in briefcases. And now, yeah, we deliver them in a PDF form. But otherwise, I don't think I've seen any updates in sales enablement. And I feel Mm -hmm. like it's kind of an area that's ripe for innovation. Any ideas about metrics that product marketers can... Mm -hmm access or can create outside of sales metrics? Absolutely. So, of course, ultimately, we're all after revenue, right? So revenue is a shared metric. So uh, just saying that, hey, product marketing, you know, as a share in revenue, well, duh, but like, then how do you measure it? And the way I think about it is that revenue or could also say conversion rate on the website, those are lag measures. So it's like looking through the rear view mirror of what happened. And just saying, hey, go increase some revenue now. It's like, well, what do we do? Like, it's it's, it's so basically, it's impossible to impact impact it directly. So really, mm-hmm. revenue and a conversion rate, they are it's an effect. So I think product marketers should focus on cause and lead measures. So broadly speaking, what does what does product marketing own? Right, they own uh, messaging, positioning, and the overall strategy, of course, comes from the CEO, but go-to-market strategy in terms of like which customers do we target, uh, using which channels, at which price point, using which messaging, and et cetera, that should be owned by product marketing. And so all of those things are lead measures. So for instance, uh, is our messaging effective? If, we, if we, they are tasked with improving messaging, how do we measure the messaging effectiveness? And so again, you can say, hey, look, let's look at the conversion rate. I mean... Conversion rate, again, is a lag measure, a bunch of things in there. So there are certain lead measures that predict whether conversion is going to happen. So, uh, And these are different from messaging is one, positioning is this other thing. So messaging, we can break down into certain buckets. And I like to think that, uh, of messaging in terms of uh, five buckets. It's like clarity, like do they get it? Do they want it? And you can put a numerical score on all of these. Uh, and per page, per URL, per the overall website, then um, relevance. Are, are we speaking about things that are high priority and, and you know, aligned with you know, our target customers' priorities and challenges? Uh, the promise of value to be delivered uh, com- when we're communicating a value proposition, how desirable is that? When they read it, is the target customer saying, oh, wow, yes, now I'll have two, please. Or are they like, meh? You know, again, we can we can put a numerical score for it. Uh, also, differentiation. How clear is it? Why choose you over these other people? And this is where most companies fail um, super badly because they just they don't even have a differentiation. And sometimes brand might matter. Like, 
are we coming across the way we want to come across if we are a jovial and fun loving brand or whatever like is that how they perceive us and then again we can put a numerical score so that's a lead measure if we get a 10 in all of those things conversion rate will go up you know so it's predicting user behavior cause and effect same thing with narrative you know we can invent the scales um for a, for a bunch of these things and when it comes to like go to market strategy it's all about validation so then it's the metric that i think all product marketing should adopt is speed of feedback you know the chest analogy that i gave you uh, how 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 soon are we learning that this price point for this customer using this channel and etc is working how long does it take us to learn and validate some of these things so if it takes us four weeks you know we're failing badly uh, the benchmark should be somewhere around like 24 hours. You know, that's 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 where I would go. And if product marketing can show that, hey, we brought our speed of learning down from three weeks to like two days, that's that's money, right? And then it's like, oh, give that guy a raise. Please have a seat at the at this important people table now. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I was smiling when you were talking because the criteria that you listed out, those buckets are almost the exact same ones that I use when I run positioning workshops. Mm -hmm. It's simplicity, clarity, relevancy, uniqueness, differentiation. All of those um, are the way that you need to be crafting that foundational positioning and then also your messaging well, in yeah, market and activating comes from it. positioning, right? So those things are related. So right. positioning, you know, I mean, we can deb debate uh, semantics and nuance here, but the way I see it, positioning is not something that you is on the website it's not like marketing copy right so messaging right. and copy are the manifestation of your positioning yeah we're on the exact same page we have to explain this sometimes to our clients but positioning is is the truth it is what you are what you do for whom and the value at the very core mm -hmm. and it's usually just internal and then messaging is the way that that gets activated and explained to your target audience externally and i would add here the third layer is that let's say the key message is that uh, to, to put it simply, uh, w one of the messages is that uh, we're cheap, we're affordable, or you know whatever, or we're we're premium, we're the best. Like that's the message that we right. want to communicate. Then copy is there's an infinite amount of ways for you to to communicate we're the best or we're the cheapest. You know, like the exact wording you use. So that's copy, and that's where brand voice comes in and influences what the copy actually is absolutely can have a big impact usually i like to say companies should not have more than like three to five key messages that stem from positioning yep. and then copies like how you actually word it and be concise exactly and, yeah, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. yeah that's great i know that was a little bit of a tangent but i feel like it's probably going to be pretty valuable for our listeners one thing that i did want to touch on though going back to um the, the kpis or the metrics that product marketers could be responsible for everything you were describing made me think quality of leads is probably that potential top metric for product marketers to adopt and to really own. Because if we're saying the right things in market, if we're communicating correctly to the right target audiences, the quality of leads coming into sales, whether organically or even how educated people are on a, a cold call even, mm -hmm. um, will be reflective of how good right. that, that message is. Right. That attribution, though, there is 
is murky because you know you have targeting like you're advertising people your your content marketers uh like are they advertising broad or narrow ideally you know like everything they put out in terms of like advertising messages is is aligned with you know what product marketing thinks we should say but like you also likely cannot and should not even be part of every ad copy right because otherwise it it becomes a bottleneck so so yes but uh attribution i think is 100 percent attribution to product marketing is just hard yeah because there you're right there are middlemen and women Uh it's product marketing sets the foundation sets the positioning and and the messaging direction but then there are copywriters Mm -hmm or marketers in charge of ad copy who then mm-hmm. that yeah there's other players affecting mm-hmm. that metric that's great so pep i know i mentioned at the beginning of the episode that we've talked about actually one of your linkedin posts before and it was the episode where we spent some time on showing software on your website when and how to show software and why and based on that one post of yours alone i feel like you probably have some hot takes about product marketing and marketing and messaging. And I would love to know what some of those hot takes are off the top of your head. The main take is always prioritize function over form. So people, when they're buying software, they wanna understand what the software is, what it looks like, how it works. And if you use cartoon doodles on your page, instead of showing actual screenshots, you're not helping clarity. And the clarity, one of the heuristics for messaging, if they don't get it, they're not going to buy it. Everybody, or most everybody, operates in a saturated category with a lot of competition. And if you don't make it easy uh, to understand, you know, figure it out what, what you're about, so you're just going to lose sales. So TLDR, always use actual screenshots of the software on your, on your website. And ideally, as... Um, the sooner the better. Like if you can put a screenshot above the fold, perfect. Like start there. I mean, some video is also great. I mean, a lot of companies do like cartoon doodles and then there's a video of the real tool. I mean, that's the video is fine, but it should not be uh, required. The video should be only supplemental to text and actual screenshots because you're asking for a bigger commitment and and there's a certain percentage, less than 10% that will watch your video, but 90% will not. They also want to understand how your product works. So hence, use actual screenshots. So I I think I agree with you about function over form, but I'm going to ask um, a devil's advocate question or a question that I feel like some of our listeners might also have is we hear a lot about storytelling Mm -hmm. in product marketing, in sales, and in brand. How do you balance storytelling with just getting to the point and showing the software? The way I'm, I see it is that storytelling is something that your marketing, especially or organic uh, marketing, your social, uh, so Twitter, LinkedIn, Insta, uh, and your blog and so on. So you do the storytelling on those channels and your, your website is really for the most part for, for transactional content. So. If you have, you know, your uh, story, your narrative uh, manifesto somewhere on a page, great, link to it, make it available, make it findable. 
but the story is 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 somewhere where that you tell through other channels. I think there's a misnomer or misunderstanding about the storytelling that they think you're, you you land on the, the the website and now it's like, well, in 1983, that uh, no. So your your homepage is not a Netflix you know picture. Um, so that's a great pull quote. <laughs> an example. So there's this company that is very storytelling driven. Uh, it's called, uh, if I'm not mistaken, First Base. And what they do, they are for remote companies shipping equipment to your remote employees, like computers, furniture, things like that. And so there you can manage, you know, like through, a, through an, um, an app, all, all the things that you want to ship to your remote employees. So if you go to the First Base uh, website, it's very transactional. This is what we do and, you know, get ship a laptop to your new employee or, you know, whatever. But if you go to their Twitter, all they do is talk about the remote world, the change that has happened, how people don't want to go back to the office. So obviously, they're, you know, it's a very biased um, uh, lens, the story. But they're telling a right. story. They're pushing a narrative, essentially. They're pushing a narrative where everybody only wants remote work and that's the best uh, world to be in. And if you're not remote, you're going to be a die and you're a loser and you should join the winners, which is us, the remote people. They're only selling selling the category, selling the narrative. That's all their social media is. They're not saying, buy now. Now shipping laptops for 20% off. None of that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think that... Um... It's funny, you say pushing a narrative, they probably say thought leadership. You know, they probably say that we're educating the market on everything that we know to be true and that we're on the cutting edge of. But it, it depends on For what sure. your goals I mean, are and, and who your target audience is. Content marketing, but it, it's it's not reporting a fact it's not like a factual news story of who, what, when. This is this is yeah. the, of course I don't know if there's any any of that left in, in the news media, because if you look at the most popular news anchors namely the fox news people none of it is factual reporting all of it is opinion personal point of view based uh, news reporting so that's exactly what companies are also doing it's a it's a point of view um, storytelling it's marketing yeah exactly <laughs> all, all yeah. marketers are liars <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if we'll keep that one in there. I don't want to get any hate mail. Oh, this is um, book, so it's legit. Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay, so Winter focuses on B2B brands. So does our team at Innovate Map. Those are our primary clients. What do you think uh, product marketers working in B2B need to know to elevate their brands and ensure that their products stand out in such a crowded field? Hmm. You need differentiation. That is essential. And the best differentiation is to be actually different, meaning that you're, you're the only one doing what you're doing. And so that means that you're, you're an innovative company. Very few can do that. And if you manage to be innovative and there's money in it, you're going to have copycats in no time. So, but if you can pull it off, fantastic. 98% of the market have to do other type of differentiation. And some of it is through brand affiliation. So what does it say about me when I buy you, right? As a buyer, uh, what does it say about me? So in, in the consumer space, it's easy. Like if I buy Patagonia jacket and so I'm signaling to the world that you know I care about sustainability and planet and et cetera. 
Whereas if you know if I buy another brand, I'm, I'm signaling other things. So take that into a B two B context, because because you know there is no B two B Megan and at home there's a B two C Megan. It's the same, right? You're, you're the same person, right? So you're still signaling something. Um, well, and businesses have brands and reputations, mm-hmm. so you could be signaling something about yourself if you're a buyer, but you're also signaling something about your business depending on what business you're buying from. Absolutely. So for instance, whenever I go to a website, and this is, I even maybe feel a little ashamed to say that, but I judge them based on what kind of live chat software they use. Because if they're not using Intercom... Oh, I do intercom, too. Don't be ashamed. And they're using some, you know, some one of those CRISPR or one of those clones. Oh, look at those cheapskates, I think, in my mind, subconsciously even. Like... This is some small ass business over here because like they're not they're not buying the best customer communication platform. They're saving money, which means their budgets are tight. And somebody might say, you know, I'm full of shit and whatever. But that's how brand works, right? Like they're signaling something and I'm picking up a signal. I'm interpreting that signaling through my personal, you know, lens, which is not objective. It's completely subjective, but brands are subjective. So that that that's one thing. So making it absolutely clear what 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 would you be signaling if somebody would choose you over the competition is one way. Um, yeah, and it's it's a testament to the brand that Intercom has built mm-hmm. that you have that reaction that they must be putting out a very strong signal in market. Exactly right. Yeah. So it, there's something interesting there where like everybody complains how expensive they are, and I complain. And I I pay that and I complain. Right. Yes, I want them to be cheaper. <laughs> uh, yeah. That being said, I mean, I've looked into the Intercom clones and they just, I don't know why, it must be a difficult product to build because every cheaper clone, they're just across the board, a little bit worse in every aspect. So, so you, you would think that in software, it's so easy to copy, but there's something hard about that business, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. You also, you touched on a soapbox at the beginning of what you were saying that I've been on a lot recently, which is even if you are buying and selling B2B software, Mm -hmm. the buyer of your software that you're selling is a person, Mm -hmm. is a consumer. So there are a lot of cues. This is a way that product marketers can differentiate in the B2B space and brand too. There are a lot of cues that B2B companies can take from B2C companies when selling because you are still selling to a consumer even though that they are buying for a business. Absolutely so. And so it, it, it comes also down to like um, self-perception of like how do you see yourself? So I just recently did a, a messaging teardown AHREFs versus SEMrush, two fierce competitors. And AHREFs in their messaging on their homepage really leans into even if you're a newbie you can use us and get great results and they repeat that here and there here and there like you don't have to be a pro and like all these different wordings they use and so and when i with winter i did like a a, a preference test showing the two versions to, to marketing people which one would they rather sign up with and it was interesting the people who who voted that yes i would choose refs. They reflected that messaging back that, oh, it made me comfortable that I don't need to be an SEO pro to use it. Whereas in SEMrush, it was the opposite. It was like, okay, like this is not for children. I'm a real pro over here. Like I'm going to go with them. 
So right, with, even if you're not, yeah, you know, and, you want to feel like one. I, I, I think, <laughs> like feature based, and there's a there's a lot of overlap between these two tools. But in messaging, they're creating differentiation. Like they're trying to appeal to uh, um, maybe different segments uh, over here. And this is differentiation should also answer two questions. Just like, what is something that my competitor either can't say, ideally, uh, but very hard? Or what is something that my competitor won't say, right? And that's much easier to win on, which because most B2B companies and most companies in general are just afraid to polarize afraid to pick a target customer because like what how are we saying no to these other people like like if you go to winter.com i said this is for b2b SaaS companies oh yes i'm saying no to like agencies and agriculture and uh manufacturing and like a bunch of other uh, e-commerce uh but b2b SaaS is now on my site and they're like oh yeah well this is this speaks to me right so, yeah, that comes up so often with our clients is that polarizing is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Picking a niche or a smaller target audience is not a bad thing, especially when more and more competitors are starting to pop up. You need to start doing that in order to differentiate. And the metaphor that we always use is no one likes warm tea. You know, mm -hmm. they like hot tea, they like iced tea, mm -hmm. but you can't be everything to everybody because nobody likes Totally. Well, is. look at the in the in the B two C example, a uh, Black Rifle Coffee that sells a commodity product, which is coffee beans. Everybody and their mother sells coffee beans, and they sell great ones. You know, so great mm -hmm. fresh yesterday uh, beans roasted yesterday is not a unique value prop. Every, that's a bare minimum, right? You expect that. And right. if you lean into the Black Rifle uh, Coffee Company's messaging, this is super pro-gun, pro-military, pro-Trump uh, messaging there. And so it appeals to a certain demographic, I guess. I mean, which just happens to be half the United States. And they've become insanely successful by just being taking a stance, having a point of view, adding it on top of a commodity product. So now let's look at like e-commerce. There's like 450 email marketing tools according to G2. Most of them just say, send beautiful email newsletters and uh, we have marketing automation. Right. Use us for your business. Grow. Yeah. <laughs> More revenue. Yeah. You know? And there's no right. stance taking. There's no, for the most part, there are very few that are that way. Where like, Yeah. But what if they did? Yeah. Well, Let's you know? look at, you know, ConvertKit is leaning into a very specific audience, which is creators, because there's this whole creator movement happening, leaning into the creator movement. Same in um, in forum or like online communities platforms, uh, like like Slack and so on, there's, uh, there's Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks, uh, you know, you can, you can build an online community, like it doesn't, it's not that different from all these other players. However, they, again, Leaning right. super into the, the, the creator movement, their, their content marketing is providing reports on like this creator movement, wow, market size and whatever, whatever. So just going after um, a certain you know audience, so certain affiliation, point of view, things like that. Uh, and I think that that is the way. Yep, I agree. I agree. I think that is the path to differentiation for sure. Awesome. Okay. Well, then the last question I have for you, Pep, is what is on the horizon for winter this year that you're most excited about? What should our listeners expect to see from the organization in the coming months? 
We are still keenly focused on getting our customers' feedback from their target customers. And so we're just expanding the, the number of ways how you can do that. We're releasing, uh, I mean, a couple of months, uh, buyer video, video walkthrough. So your target customers uh, are on your website. And while you know narrating out loud their buying, uh, their experience, what it's like to be exposed to your marketing, going through your sales funnel, uh, maybe your app onboarding, um, and not from a usability perspective, but solely what it's like to be in your funnel, whatever that looks like. So that's coming out. Also, price sensitivity um, research tools. Always, you know, you have customer, uh, you have questions about should we, how much should we charge for this? And it's often like that. And so we're building a tool that you can put a prompt, yeah, let's say a product description with videos and screenshots or whatever. And ask them certain questions. There's a certain uh, methodology we use to basically figure out what it, what would be the optimal price point uh, to charge for something. Uh, the whole point. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. I think so. And also, we're we're adding more. Um, let's call it algorithmic machine learning based advice on, on and feedback um, onto the platform. In addition to to human feedback. Oh, cool. Okay, makes a ton of sense. Well, great. I'm excited to see where it goes. We're definitely going to follow winter and maybe we'll eventually reach back out and have you on the show again. This has been great. I'd love to. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't yet, be sure to join the Better Product Community. We've got all sorts of content and resources for you. And if you want more audio, don't forget The Business of Product is our latest show to join the Better Product Network. And you can find that and more at betterproduct.community.